Hello, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. Visit me at my website called narctroopers.com, where you will find a podcast channel, a YouTube vlog channel, and hundreds of articles. Well, almost 200 articles. It's a lot. So there's other stuff to be had as well. So check it out. You'll find all kinds of goodies to help you on your recovery journey. So today we're talking about addiction to the narcissist or to the narcopath, which is a narcissistic psychopath. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Sam Vaknin as always. He's, he is my favorite um, expert on NPD. And he's been talking about a lot of the uh, new way of looking at narcissism and saying that in the past, we've always divided it into different types of narcissists, like overt and covert and things like that. But now they're thinking that uh, maybe a new classification would say that the overt narcissist is really more of a psychopath. Like there's different types of psychopath. There's primary and secondary psychopaths. Um, but they're saying that all um, true narcissists, malignant pathological narcissists that have NPD are covert, also known as vulnerable, um, collapsible. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, um, so let's talk about the addiction to them because um, at some point you have to stop dissecting that cadaver, which is the relationship that you had with the person and the narcissist themselves. At some point you, you do understand what they are, how they work, why they are that way and how there's really not a whole lot you can do about it. What we need to do is shift away from that focus on them and turn the focus to yourself and think about kind of where your mind goes instead of constantly thinking about them trying to understand all of that, the world of the narcissist, which is delusional and you know, it's another dimension, alternate reality. Instead of trying to figure all that out, let's focus on you for a minute. Let's, let's try to understand the addiction, the peptide addiction, the neurobiological changes, the physiological changes that happen after relationships with people that have NPD. So addiction can be defined as disease that involves complex interactions within brain circuits and external factors that cause destructive consequences and harm. People with addiction participate in compulsive behaviors regardless of the dangerous consequences. There are two main types of addiction at play 
in relationships with a person suffering from narcissistic personality disorder. Peptide addiction has become a popular topic of conversation among the circles of healing communities that attempt to decipher root causes of prolonged and exceptionally difficult recovery from emotional abuse at the hands of the narcopath. Understanding it can facilitate recovery and assist in self-realization. Biochemical changes, neurological changes take place in the brain of the victim and enhance this addiction, addiction to pain and attraction to um, the abuser. When the partner of narcissistic abuse is betrayed and discarded, the obsession intensifies as memories overwhelm their brain. Betrayal keeps serotonin levels low, which uh, fuels this obsession and stimulates the production of dopamine, which intensifies the compulsive desire to connect with them. The discard is stressful, which increases the production of um, noepinephrine, which is a stress hormone, which further complicates the out of control emotional thinking. Love and addictions are both activated uh, in the emotional limbic system, not in the neurocortex, which is the logical thinking part of the brain. It's purely emotional. The limbic system contains the hypothalamus, which assembles a small amino acid chain sequence called peptides, which are chemical formations with an exact match to every good or bad emotion we may feel. Cells become addicted based on the peptides intensity and cannot distinguish between positive or negative emotions. In many ways, getting a rush of these little boogers resembles the flood of euphoria, euphoria after injecting heroin or something like that. It's that intense and it's that addictive and it gets worse. If the, um, if the cells don't get the addictive peptide that they need, part of the peptide is held back by the cell and then secreted back into the bloodstream. It then goes to the brain neurons, which send messages to our frontal lobes and subsequently bring up images from the past. This is often when ruminations and intrusive thinking and obsessive looping kicks in and starts. Um, and we start thinking repetitive thoughts so that we can make more of the same peptide that was connected to the emotions that we are trying to replicate uh, or to um, manufacture or experience again. 
It's a never-ending supply-demand situation that keeps the victim in a constant state of dis distressing emotional thinking, the brain flooded with chemicals that hijack logical processing abilities and neural pathways and chemical dysregulation causing uncontrollable and unmanageable emotions. This is one of the reasons why we get stuck in recovery and, and are unable to let go and move on from even the most toxic relationships that you would think, oh yeah, I'm definitely glad to be out of that. What a relief that I even lived through it, you know, let's celebrate, yay, they're, they're, they're gone. And um, you would think that would be the response, you know, and I think everyone kind of uh, looks to you at that time and, and wonders why you're not uh, celebrating that this very disordered, dysfunctional, dysregulated person is gone from your life. They're, they're wondering why you're not uh, just absolutely uh, tickled pink about that, you know, because you're not, uh, you're the opposite of that. You're, you're going through withdrawal. You are, you know, just crumbling and, uh, having trouble managing yourself and, and just continuing and just daily, daily routines, you know, may become just impossible because you can't function. I remember when this first happened to me, two years and 10 months ago. Yes, I'm still counting because I'm still in recovery. And, um, you know, I couldn't even get out of bed. I lost 30 pounds in one month. Couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. I was shaking and trembling. Couldn't stop doing that. It, it was, um, not mild. It was, it was a, um, horrible, like a rigor, like you would have with a high fever. Um, I had panic attacks for the first time in my life. I had never had one before. Woke me up when I did manage to go to sleep. I would wake up with a jolt gasping for air. Like I had been underwater and I was drowning heart pounding where I thought I was having a heart attack, sweating, uh, you know, shaking. There's no words to describe that. And you know, does any of that sound like a normal breakup to you? Does any of that sound like just a typical end of a relationship to you? I mean, it's pretty hard to believe that it's that extreme and that, and that these people become that addicted physically with on a cellular level through their peptides that alter their cells that are connected to their emotional um, collapse and that their neurochemicals in their brain are just going crazy. And that none of this has to do with, in, with them just, Oh, I'm being dramatic and I'm just feeling hysterical and I just want attention. It's just, that's crazy. Why would you do that? That's not what's happening. This is a all body experience, mind, soul, identity. Um, it's, it's an existential crisis 
it affects you on multiple levels in multiple ways that do not in any way look like your regular typical average run-of-the-mill breakup divorce or separation it's that it, this is in a whole other category it's a whole other league it is does not have anything in common with a regular end of a relationship this is something else that has happened and what that person is experiencing after the relationship ends is nothing short of calamity it's crisis it's a complete uh collapse and crumbling of their whole being on multiple levels and it's impossible to just uh get a hold of it i ended up in the emergency room i had to go to the hospital and they gave me uh, benzodiazepam clonopin to take for my extreme they called it acute panic disorder and ptsd eventually i was diagnosed with all of that because i was just such um you know i couldn't function i couldn't eat couldn't work couldn't think couldn't be a human i couldn't function in any way i had to have um medication i had to have mental health therapy i had to have all these millions of different kinds of support just to be able to get myself to the place where i could get up and go to work and function so let's keep that in mind when we're talking about these addictions when we're talking about what happens to people after these relationships when they have betrayal bonds or trauma bonds whatever you want to call them that are deeply in place this this peptide addiction uh is a different kind of addiction and it is powerful it's cellular this thing is in your cells and how many cells do you have in your body Cajillions, trillions, cajillions, too many to even put a word to it because it's so many cells and every one of them is freaking out and doing, doing naughty things that it shouldn't be doing. Um, so yeah. All right. So what is the catch 22 here? When we start to heal, the brain releases more of the negative trauma peptides and we feel the longing for the abuser to ameliorate the pain uh, right so when we start to feel better the brain releases more of the negative trauma peptides you see how that works and then that triggers you wanting to have that narcissist to I mean he's your drug or she is your drug your heroin and you need a fix and when you start to heal the peptides kick in in a way that has that make that creates that hunger again um, you know we become trauma bonded through this betrayal bond to our abusers and our brains actually trick us into thinking our love for this narcopath is so strong that we can't live without them. That's what it feels like. 
relationship addiction. Let's let's okay. So we've talked about peptide addiction. It's really important that you understand that. And if you want to know more, you should definitely research that. It's for real. It's scientifically supported, researched, documented. You know, it's it's for real. And I guarantee you, if you have been in a relationship for any period of time, a year or more, I would say, there's going to be some of that involved. Yep. There, there's going to be peptide addiction. I was married 16 years to my narcissistic husband and, um, yeah, I'm still not okay. (laughs) Still working on it. All right. So let's shift relationship addiction. It is the phenomena, phenomenon. (laughs) Is it phenomenon or phenomena? It's that thing that victims of narcissistic abuse experience, and it's difficult to overcome because it's what, okay, so what makes relationship addiction um, after the discard or divorce or whatever, such a prolonged and hellish experience um, is because, well, okay, let me reframe that. The narcissist and codependent relationships are essentially Two people with trauma history and complementary emotional uh, imbalances who begin to depend on each other to meet their needs for validation, identity, happiness, leading to an increasing spiral of destruction for both of them. Both of them, both the narcissist and their partner, both of them have codependent features. Both of them have some dependency, attachment, weird, not normal kind of things going on there. Both of them have some abandonment and trust issues. Both of them have had some kind of archaic wound, childhood injury, poor scripting and programming, trauma that happened in early childhood between the ages of two and six. So both have that usually. Um, And because of that, um, because they share this history, this common history, and they are sort of um, damaged in the same way, for lack of better words, um, you know, there's often a logical cognitive understanding of the dysfunction, but, uh, but the emotional attachments limit the ability to walk away. I don't know how many times I thought I'm out of my mind for staying here. He has done some really messed up things, things that most people would leave. Um, you know, anybody would have left if, if he had done that in, in a marriage to anybody else. Why, why am I staying? Why can't I leave? Why does that not even seem like a choice? And, and so cognitively, I knew there was something wrong, wrong with him to be doing those things in the first place, obviously, and wrong with me for not leaving when he did these things that were, that were not okay in any way. They were bad things. (laughs) for lack of better ways to say that. So, so there was something wrong with both of us. Um, a normal neurotypical healthy 
person in that kind of relationship would have left. Actually, they probably would have headed for the door pretty early on when all the red flags started showing up and all the weird eccentric things started happening. They would have said, wow, this is, there is something wrong with this person. I think I'm just going to go now. But people like me, people like maybe you, um, people who uh, think that they can need to fix people, help people, heal them, love them into wellness, you know, um, for all the reasons that we want to do that, that we feel that we have to do that. That's a problem that, you know, thinking that feeling that, um, way, it is a problem. So there's something called narcissistic abuse syndrome and, and it can look like addiction and can actually release similar chemical reactions and other compulsive obsessions. Narcissistic abuse is a biochemical addiction that is experienced in the same way that any other addiction would manifest. Narcissistic addiction intersects with narcissistic abuse and a vulnerable partner may enter into these relationships with emotionally unavailable people like narcissists because that's what we do because of the reasons I just said. We, uh, the, all the things that, that we could have that we need to work on about ourselves, those come into play that make us attract these people in the first place. And then once we're in it, instead of exiting, when it's obviously time to do that, we don't. Within a relationship with a narcissist, there's a dynamic in place. Addicts and narcissists tend to attract people who have corresponding personalities that tolerate or enable the bad behavior of the narcissist. I've often remarked how my husband and I were two jagged puzzle pieces that alone were fragmented and broken, but together it's like they fit so perfectly uh, complementing one another. So neither one a whole piece, neither one capable of self-validation from the inside, which is important. If you want to be healthy and whole, you have to have that The narcissist depends on external validation in the form of fuel and supply. And the person who with attachment disorders or codependency or, you know, if you want to use the word empath, I don't like that word, but a lot of you claim that word and call yourself empaths. Um, Not sure exactly. There's different definitions for that, but I'm guessing if you are one, you feel like you're um, a healer and a person who's a helper and that you sense the feelings of others and you know things that most people don't know because you're just so in tune with your vibrations to everything and yada yada. Well, you wouldn't stay with that person if you were healthy. So, whatever label you put on yourself, you know, for me, I have 
um, attachment disorder. It's a cluster um, B disorder, I think. Cluster B disorder is a dependent personality disorder is what it's called. It's like codependency, only not exactly codependency. Um, it has more to do with unhealthy attachments and no boundaries and and again, external validation that you both have that. Um, you know, you actually the narcissist and their partner have quite a bit in common. Uh, and the longer they're together, the narcissist sort of hijacks your brain, co-ops it, you know, absconds with it, runs away with it and claims it for their own. And you're kind of left you know, you've been hollowed out, you've been scooped out all the good stuff so that, um, you know, a lot of your yummy essence has been gobbled up by the narcissist. And so that, cause he needs it. He doesn't, isn't able to supply that for himself. And, um, he has to take it from you. You're not able to validate yourself so that you have to, get in relationships where the relationship validates you in some way, you know, the whole thing is messy and not healthy. Um, a healthy person's going to notice this from the beginning that it's not normal. Narcissists don't have the capacity to love, although they often confuse idealization and infatuation with something that resembles it or it feels like it to them like um you know it's kind of like middle school puppy love kind of stuff like they make me feel so happy they make me feel so many butterflies in my tummy um yeah love is a lot more complicated and deeper than just how they make you feel <laughs> that's not what it is really, but that's what the narcissist believes that it is. Um, they don't know. They confuse these things. Um, and their partner is simply a source of narcissistic supply. Narcissists and their partners cohabitate in a shared fantasy that is really like a mutual psychosis. The narcissist lives in a delusion of magical thinking and their partner becomes equally, maybe not equally, but becomes delusional as well. Um, mentally healthy people don't live in Wonderland, Never Never Land, Disneyland, La La Land, any of those lands, any of those fictional storybook places. They don't. Narcissists' whole lives revolve around fantasy and their partner's life revolves around the narcissist. Think about that. The narcissist's whole life revolves around fantasy and the partner's whole life revolves around the narcissist. They're both getting supply in a sense. They're both getting that external validation because they don't know how to give it to themselves. The narcissist co-ops their partner's brain and becomes their internal voice and conscience. The person is hijacked and loses agency over themselves, surrendering to a learned helplessness 
And that's a whole other phenomenon. Phenomenon. Uh, learned helplessness. You should do a little bit more research on that. It's very, very important to know what that is. Over time, the partner loses their own self and sort of ceases to exist. They have been invaded and consumed. It feels like they can't live without their narcissist. They need the intermittent reinforcement that comes in the cycle of narcissistic abuse. They become accustomed to it and bonded with them, which is powerful, powerful kind of addiction. So there are different kinds of love junkies. And that's what we're talking about, love junkies. Um, even if this love junkie, um, even if they are no longer in love with their partner, they can't let go. The relationship may affect their health, their emotional well-being, um, all of it, because they cannot let go. They're afraid of being alone. They are afraid of change. They're fearful. They lack agency and control over their own lives. And that's the relationship addict. Um, and by the way, sidebar, the, the narcissist doesn't feel fear at all. They have something called a flat effect or, um, oh my gosh, there's another word for it. I can't think of it right now, but it's, it, it's like a, it's like a flat effect instead of getting an emotional response that's natural and normal. It's not, it's like it's absent or it's modified. It's very weak response, almost not there. And so anyway, okay. So back on track relationship addicts. That's the first kind. Second kind we're going to talk about is the romance addict. These love junkies are addicted to multiple partners. Um, so this is the romance addict. Unlike sex addicts who avoid bonding at all, romance addicts bond with each of their partners, even if they are brief or occurring simultaneously. Romance means sexual passion and pseudo emotional intimacy. They get a high from the rush of the merging, but they avoid the real bonding or intimacy. Okay, guys, let's go to the next one. Codependent love addicts. This is number three. Third, these third kind of addict. <laughs> Of all the different types, these are the most common, the codependent love addict. Because of insecurity and low self-esteem, they try desperately to hold on to the people they are addicted to using codependent behaviors, which include enabling, rescuing, caretaking, controlling, and accepting neglect or abuse. They take care of their partners in hopes that they will not leave. The types of love addiction are many, and many people suffer from one or another of those types. And with the narcissistic relationship, the narcissist engenders a profound addiction in their partners through intermittent reinforcement and other strategies that cause trauma bonding. These chemical reactions in the brain render the victims and sometimes volunteers totally helpless 
They can't do anything. It's like they're paralyzed. They can't get away. Um, although they unwittingly sort of cause these addictions to develop, it appears to be in, an ingrained predatory behavior that comes naturally to the narcissist. You know, I hear a lot of discussion on whether they know what they're doing or not. And there's a lot of people who swear they do. And they say, of course they know they're hurting you. Of course, they just don't have any empathy. They just don't care, but they know. But I'm gonna put it out there that I don't think that they deliberately go out of their way to harm you. I, unless unless they are have a sadistic streak or some psychopathy in there, which is very possible. There's comorbidities and they have other conditions as well. But your typical run-of-the-mill narcissist, I don't think that they deliberately uh, want to hurt you. It's just sort of the byproduct. You're just sort of like collateral damage. They're just trying to survive. They're just trying to feed. They are those pred predators that are out hunting for food, for fuel, for supply, just to live and keep going and to survive. And, and so you get eaten, you know, it's nothing personal. They don't want to hurt you, but they're hungry and they need to feed. And if they don't eat you, they will die. And I think that's a more accurate description of what happens in most of these cases than thinking they're out to cause harm and that they're enjoying your suffering because they've wanted to do this and that they're sadistic people. It's yes, again, that's possible. They are if they have some comorbid um, diagnosis in addition to the narcissist, but the simple plain, just a narcissist, nothing else, just a person with pathological malignant narcissism disorder NPD, that guy, that girl, I don't think that they, uh, they're just predators. Okay. They're just predators trying to survive. So like all addictions, relationship addiction can, can, you can get over it. It takes awareness, acceptance, a lot of hard work and support. The important thing to remember is that and all addictions hijack a person's life and renders them a slave to that addiction, whatever it is. If we want true freedom and power over our own lives, we must achieve sobriety and do whatever it takes to maintain it. And that means separating from the narcissist, trying to go no contact, trying to stay away, leave them alone, Every time you think about them, shift your focus. Think about something else. Every time you feel that addiction at work, the peptides are telling you that, you know, you have to have this fix, you know, and that that person is your drug. You have to resist and replace it with something else and, and do some behavioral modification or meditation or energy work, pranic healing or something, Reiki. I don't know. You have to do something. There's a billion different things you can do. What you cannot do is just give in to it and be unable to disconnect, to be unable to do that. And, and I just want to confess guys that 
It's been a problem for me. What I'm telling you about cognitively, I think we can understand what they are, why they do what they do, what we are, why we do what we do. And we can love ourselves. We can think very highly of ourselves. I think I am very intelligent person. I am pretty decent looking person for someone my age. I'm pretty, um, pretty good, you know, great package. You know, I have a lot going on. I love myself. I deserve someone to love me. And so that's not the problem. Uh, but you know, you've got all this stuff going on and it's just so easy to, um, it just comes out of nowhere and grabs you by the (laughs) whatever. And it, and you just, you don't know what it is. You, you know, when it's happening to you, you know, you're an addict, you know, that you are, are craving them. And many of you will swear. I, but you, okay. I am addicted, but I also love them. Really love them. I know what love is and I love them. And you know, there's some people who will say, no, it's just addiction, but I'm going to say, yeah, I think it's possible to really love your person with, with some mental illness. And at the same time, become addicted and get the peptide addiction and the relationship addiction and the whole dependency personality disorder thing coming up and childhood trauma and all those, all those things are at play. All of those things. Sure. They're factors, but I, you know, I do think it's, it, it was, some people say it was always just addiction. I don't think so. Um, I think it was both. I think, I think I actually loved my husband. I think I still love him two years and 10 months later after the worst, most painful part of my life, more suffering, more just <laughs> unspeakable horrors of this recovery been, have been, it, it, there's no words for it. But at the end of the day, there are still times where I want to break no contact. I want to text him. I just want to tell him something. Um, and I know better. I I guess what I'm saying is we can know better. We can understand it cognitively, but to get the cooperation of everything else, our emotional thinking and our feelings that are dysregulated and the brain chemicals and all of the little pathways that have deep ruts that are going to have to be reconfigured and, and it's so much work and the uh, peptides on the cellular level, the trauma that you store in your body, the physiological pains and sicknesses that come from this. Oh my gosh, I could just go on and on. It's so much, but it, you know, I think every time I do reach out, my mind tells me, why are you doing that? He has erased you. And you need to remember this too. They have erased you. They have rewritten history. The, what they remember of their relationship with you does not resemble reality. They don't remember 
what you felt like, how you tasted, how you smelled. They have no memory of sensory things. They have no memory of you as a human. You're just a snapshot picture in their brain, a snapshot picture that they have now filed away in their warehouse, in their storage compartmentalized warehouse of former sources of fuel and supply. You are an object. You are a photograph. You are a thing that doesn't exist in their world any longer at all. So when you reach out to talk or to text or to email, you are communicating with a cadaver, with a dead person, with someone who does not exist, with a ghost, right? You might as well say, dear Casper, I wanted to tell you blah, 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 because they're not there. The person they were with you was a version that they got from you. And they took that costume off, that skin suit, that persona, that person they were with you no longer exists. They discarded that along when they discarded you. They discarded both, both that version of themselves and you. They discarded you, the picture of you the paper doll you, the Barbie you, because that's all that you ever were, was a paper doll or a Barbie or some object to them, just some picture in their mind, in their fantasy world. But that person that you were in love with wasn't real, and they have disposed of that person, and they have disposed of you, and their world has no place for you in it. And there's never, ever any happy endings for people who get back together, who, when one of them has NPD, it is a mental illness. It is an incurable mental illness. And they aren't coming back because they aren't them. There is no they to come back. Um, so, you need to try to reconcile what you know in your head with the rest of you, not just your emotional thinking gone wild, but all the peptide addiction, relationship addiction, just all of that. You, you have to have your logic and reasoning and your cognitive mind be the one that's in charge of you. Even if the rest of you is rebelling and saying, no, I need him. I want him. I want to see what he's doing. I know I can fix him. I want to be with him. I love him. Stop it. Stop it. It's, it's done. It's over. You know, it was, it was always not what you thought it was. So, you need to let it go. And I get that more than anybody you will ever meet <laughs> because it's just like AA or NA or one of those 12 step programs, you know, who do they have running it? They have addicts who are sober and that's what 
I am trying to be for you guys. I'm an addict and I'm trying to be sober and he is my drug. And, you know, even people in AA sometimes backslide and fall off the wagon. And I guess I do too. But, and I tell myself, but I love him. (laughs) It doesn't matter because he's mentally ill. And you're, you're a narcissist. If they're truly uh, have NPD, it is a hopeless situation. And, and, and you, you know, it's okay if you do what I do and fail sometimes and send off a text or whatever, you know, look at their social media. Just be kind to yourself and say, oh my gosh, <laughs> I am really needing to work on my sobriety. And then you shift, focus, rededicate and start working those steps start working on your sobriety and i believe that this is an addiction like all addictions that we can get sober and stay sober and lead a reasonably satisfying and happy life i know we can do that i have trouble sometimes and i'm pretty sure you have trouble sometimes because that's the nature of this horrible addiction. And um, so it doesn't matter if you think you really love them or not. It's, it's a, mute, a moot point. It doesn't matter. What matters is they're sick. They're incapable of loving you back. So at that point, it's probably addiction. And, and it's a powerful thing. So uh, sorry, we went a little bit long tonight, but I had a lot to say about this addiction thing. And um, find your tribe, find other people who've gone through this, because we know what's up, we know what's real, and we're not narcissists. We don't have pathological malignant narcissism in PD. We have that inner core that's in there, and it's hurting, it's bleeding, it's crying out for for something to make it feel better but we're alive in ways that they are not and we are suffering and going and we may be addicts but you know we are rooted in reality now that we're out of the fantasy with them reality doesn't look so great these days Sometimes I tell myself, I would rather live in that delusional fantasy world with a crazy person than to face all the pandemic and war and climate change and crap in the real world. Eh, I'll take the fantasy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's not a good thing. We need to stay in reality, you know, take your shoes off, go stand in the dirt, hug a tree, say a prayer, sing a song, do a dance, go jump in some water, do something to ground yourself into reality and then let your mind be powerful enough to help you maintain your distance and the healing will follow. Okay. Much love everybody. Good night. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.